0: Welcome to episode 178 of the Reformed
1: Brotherhood. I'm Jesse. And I'm Tony. And this is the podcast of Brotherly Love. For you. In this world I do. Hey, brother. Hey, brother. Happy 178 to you. 178. Man, that's a lot of podcasts. That's a lot of hours of our voice.
0: It is. And as we've said before, at these milestones that either we make up or that are some, you know, even number, we always say there are people, brothers and sisters, who have listened to all 178 hours. And that is an exceptional achievement.
1: Yeah, I feel like uh, nobody except my wife should have listened to my voice for 178 hours, but (laughs) there are people out there that have done it.
0: People have done it and... Because we have a milestone next week, that undisclosed milestone, so to speak, you issued uh, two challenges and one next week, we're going to disclose why that episode is particularly significant to us. But last week, you also gave a challenge to say, hey, maybe you want to come up with a possible funny explanation for why 179 is important.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So the the challenge was... The funniest, as subjectively assessed by Jesse and myself, uh, answer for why 179 was important, will win a Reformed Brotherhood t-shirt. So Jesse and I are going to try to navigate it on the air. We'll talk about which one's the funniest after we record, but we will, uh, we will notify the funny winner uh, via email. I
0: love it. How yes. about I share a couple of these? Let's do it. Okay. So are you ready for this? Yeah. Like, and you can, you can provide your feedback if you want
1: okay thank you for permission uh,
0: <laughs> listen you' the egalitarian whatever you want to contribute so um, th- there's there was a uh, so here's what I've learned in issuing this challenge people have interesting senses of humor yes. what they think is funny so I, I think this is great we got a variety of responses let me just share a couple of them so uh, here's one this is from Mary Surha she says 179 is the total number of Lent memes Tony has posted this year.
1: (laughs) I did see that in the email box, and I I smiled greatly when that came through. I don't actually know how many I did post. There was a lot. I was, let alone fact, I was asked in multiple groups to stop posting them. (laughs) So.
0: Cease and desist. Mission
1: accomplished.
0: I love that. You know what? That was a theme throughout many emails. There was some reference to the number of memes you'd posted. In fact, Mike Washburn, he gives three potential options. The first is what he labels a dad joke pun. He says, episode 179 is significant because it's the last episode before you do a total 180.
1: (laughs) (laughs) What would that even be? The Armenian Brotherhood? (laughs) I think it'd have to be would, the Roman Catholic Brotherhood. would be a shocker? I did do an April Fool's Day joke one year um, where I turn, I changed the name of a Facebook group that I was managing, which was the Reformed Think Tank. I changed it to the Eastern Orthodox Think Tank, and it was a small group. There was like six or seven people in it, but they all lost their minds. It was amazing.
0: Oh, that's great. Yeah, I I don't know, but that would be a shocker if on 179, we turned it into the Reformed Arminian Brotherhood.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That's a good one. Just confused
0: everything. So he has, and he has two alternatives, one that pokes fun at me, one that pokes fun at you. So the one poking fun at me is he says episode 179 is significant because that's the average, the average number of times Jesse says metabolize (laughs) or distill
1: (laughs) per show. (laughs) <laughs> that one's pretty good or or uh yeah you could say uh content proceeds or intent precedes content that's one you like yes uh, oh,
0: I'm, I'm so glad that these things have finally a stuck after all what this else time? do you
1: say a lot of uh
0: listen i got i got a lot of go-tos but i definitely love a good metabolize and a good distill yeah
1: those are that's true what what, what was his jab at me
0: Share them among your friends. Well, once again, there is a theme for you. And he says episode 179 is significant because that's how many hours per week Tony spends generating Ash Wednesday memes.
1: <laughs> yes, uh, that that was a full time job for a while. I did have to use all my earned time at work to maintain the Ash Wednesday memes, the Scorch Earth Wednesday memes.
0: <laughs> so here's just two more, because I think these are great and creative as well. Lots of creativity among the listeners. So this is from Jim Hedinger, and he says, 179 is a significant episode for an obvious reason. He says, the number seven finds itself between the digits six and eight in our current mathematical constructs. Thus, 179 can be seen as a stand-in. For episode 1689, ergo, the plan of episode 179 is for Tony to announce that he has seen the light and fully embraced the Semper Reformanda, ideal by publicly embracing credo-baptism and 1689 federalism. While obviously this podcast will in fact continue to episode 1689 and beyond, Tony can wait no longer to express his joy in the beauty of this Reformed Baptist understanding of the scriptures.
1: Wow. Uh I hate to disappoint. I guess I don't really hate to disappoint. That is not, that is not the answer. And in a very real sense, it's actually the opposite of the answer, which is glorious. We'll leave that one out there to tease the crowd. So creative.
0: One more. This is from Jamie Francis. He writes episode 179 is so titled because it reminds everyone that apart from Christ, both Tony and Jesse's podcasting skills would be deceitful and wicked above all things, who could even understand either of them? And he says Jeremiah seventy nine, episode one seventy
1: nine. That should be the that should be the uh, motto of our podcast. Who couldn't even understand them? <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's actually not a bad tagline.
1: Uh, that's the Reformed a good, Brotherhood. The Reformed Brotherhood. Who can even understand them? <laughs> uh, so that's
0: just a sampling. So many creative responses. It's been so fantastic. So I guess there's still a little bit of time if somebody wants to send one in at to info at reformbrotherhood.com.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's uh it's good. Keep keep them coming. The the creativity is is definitely appreciated. We we have the best like we have the best listeners. Just people get into it, they they love, you know, to to throw some jokes at us, we get good questions, people are thoughtful. Uh, we don't have any like I don't think we have like trolls that are coming after us most of the time. So that's good. So we appreciate our audience. We appreciate those who are part of this crazy experiment that we call the Reform Brotherhood. So keep them coming.
0: Yeah, this has been great. And the nice thing about it is it really is kind of like a family. That sounds so cliche, but in your family, you get to poke fun at each other. Right. and You get to know that no matter what happens at the end of the day, you're bound together by an inseparable bond. So that's something that I would like everybody to just metabolize, because I've really tried to distill down the essence <laughs> of the Reformed Brotherhood.
1: Wow. Just wow. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's going to become a drinking game now, you realize. People are going to go back and listen to 179 hours of me saying those two words, and now they're just going to like pop right out of yeah, every recording.
1: There you go. Stick that in your pipe and metabolize it.
0: Ah, uh, that's fantastic. Well, let's <laughs> go into some affirmations and denials. Yes. Um, what do you want to start with first this week? Affirmations, denials, Let's denials, Let's do affirmations. affirmations. Why
1: don't you go first?
0: Okay. So many episodes ago, some may recall that I affirmed with a band that I enjoy, and they're producing a new album, and they're doing something somewhat experimental where they were asking for people to sing a particular line, a lyric, a melody, and they were going to bring that all together in this chorus and use it as part of one of their songs. That album is out. So I'm affirming with a band called Dens, D-E-N-S, and their new album entitled Taming Tongues. This is just a fanatic, this is a fantastic (laughs) and amazing and fanatically awesome rock album. It's just really good, solid, like thick juicy rock. It, there's I don't think I think there's hardly like any yelling in this. I know I have to qualify that for some because you're used to me just giving you the yelling album. Nothing makes me happier than when I recommend a piece of music and then I get feedback from a listener that says, I was not prepared to turn this on in my vehicle by myself at 6 30 in the morning. <laughs> so, th- this is not necessarily one of those albums. It's just a really good, solid rock album. Yeah. Beautiful music. The lyrics are on point. And it's 11 tracks. And I can give you the listing and the names of those tracks right now. Even foolish men are wise when they learn to keep quiet. So, in this particular album, they just titled everything one word with- in that sentence. So, Dens, Taming Tongues. The last track on this called Quiet, that's the one where if you want to hear my voice merge with a bunch of others, you'll hear it in the chorus, and it's a really beautiful song. So you can file this affirmation under the music category.
1: <laughs> nice. Nicely done. How about you? What are you affirming? So I'm. this is an oldie but a goodie. This is one of those standing affirmations, but it bears repeating. You know, as we went through Micah cast, uh, i I realized, like, we haven't been referencing the confessions and the catechisms as much just because of the nature of the way that we were approaching those um, those episodes. So I'm affirming catechisms. You know, it, the, the one thing that I'm learning about the catechisms as I've worked over the past couple of years to just really work on memorizing the Westminster Shorter Catechism is that the strength of a catechism, if you are faithful to memorize it, is that it actually creates this like this framework for you to process any possible question uh, about reality. in. so, you know, the, the Westminster catechism says that the, the the things that the scriptural principally teaches is what man is to believe concerning God and what duty God requires of man. And there's nothing in all of reality. There's no question in all of reality that doesn't in some sense relate to those two axes, right? So this will, this will become important with our topic today Is that, you know, like you can very quickly, if you are really kind of breathing the air of the catechism, you can quickly apply any situation. You can apply the wisdom of God's law to it through this sort of distillation. How do you like that one of the catechism's thought on the moral law of God? So I'm just affirming uh, the reformed catechisms.
0: That's great. I mean, that I, the thing is we should have like some standing affirmations where we just kind of go back and wade into them every once in a while, as if just to say, it's always good to like rehearse these things, bring them back into your life. Because with everything with human experience, we just grow so accustomed to what we becomes normative. And so I, I like that. I, I mean, I know people will say like, you've talked about that before, but we're going to keep talking about it because it's so valuable and we're just so prone to wander away from yeah. truth. That to have something that we always come back to that we can rely on. Listen, we got to we'll affirm that every day of the week and twice on the Lord's Day. It's
1: true. Every day of the week and twice on Lord's Day. That's another thing you say a lot. We I've picked it up too. <laughs> it's just so
0: good though. It
1: is. It's a good saying. What about a Wait, denial? So how
0: about this? Do we... So before the denial, do we have phrases that though we've kind of made uniquely our own that are stuff that we just use like in our conversation here? That must exist, right?
1: Yeah, I guess. I mean... I can't think of any though. That only we use here?
0: Yeah, mostly like in our conversations or if there's something that's like kind of uniquely Jesse and Tony-ish that we say to each other. I mean, I'm sure there's somebody who's going to say, you guys say this to each other or you use this phrasing. Yeah. Or they'll just talk about how we describe like the structural integrity of an (laughs) onion or the lack thereof, that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, yeah. Let us know, listeners. I mean, I think you and I aren't the people to know that. Like it's it's probably kind of it's like scent blindness. Like if we we're not the ones that are recognize the unique phrases that we use because we're we're the ones that are using them. Like we're the goldfish in the bowl.
0: Yeah, we're so our conversation is the water in which we swim. Yeah, exactly. we don't even know we're in it. Yeah, yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah, our metaphors are always on point.
1: Yeah, and and mixed. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that that actually could be our thing it's we yeah. don't care we will straight crush two or three or four metaphors together yes and jumble them all up yeah
1: who can even understand them
0: <laughs> uh i'm telling you jamie's got us it's, it's good that's the new tag it is yeah who can even understand them so denials
1: yes what are you denying
0: uh, this is uh, something that has to do a bit with language, actually. So you're, once again, your use of segues. I mean, at this point, 178, you're straight professional. So <laughs> the segue was amazing. I'm denying against a piece of language, and it's in the context of the world over, of course. Uh, we're trying to understand what COVID-19 means, and there are people, of course, that are struggling with both how to live, how to keep the normal lives, how to heal, uh, how to be sensitive and loving to their neighbors. And there's a particular part of language that has popped up in the context of this discussion that for me was totally unexpected, but I, I have seen used in my daily life. And now all of a sudden it's like into the public and people don't know what the heck it is. So there's, you know, this already, I think actually, this is not something that's unfamiliar to you. So when we talk about like diseases and the spread of diseases or viruses, like the models that actually determine like all the permutations of possible combinations and exposures, there is a letter abbreviation that reflects basically like the, I think what it's called is basically like the spread rate, so to speak, in normal language. And that's the the letter R with a subscript of the number zero. If You familiar with what I'm talking about?
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So... What's funny, though, is that people are referring to this in a specific way and they're often misspelling it or not understanding what it means. So usually I would say like in most of like the the Western, like American English speaking world, we'd call that like R sub zero. It's a capital R with a lower with a zero that's just below the text line. Right. But it can also be called uh, that reference, that zero the word not n-a-u-g-h-t not n-o-t which is where i see a lot of it being spelled yeah and what's weird about this is "r not or anything with the sub-zero or the not is like not is actually a british word for zero so like we just picked this up somewhere along the way and started using (laughs) it everywhere so i'm just seeing it now posted everywhere and i think people are just like throwing it around uh without understanding that it's not spelled N O T. Yeah. And it just means zero. And it kind of, when you think of it that way, it just sounds like super fancy. Like, I suppose if you want to be consistent, you should call like the hood of a car a bonnet and you should say aluminium and all that other stuff. So I guess this is just a personal annoyance on my part. I'm denying against the lack of understanding what not means.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you there. I love, I love finding those little things that people consistently like get wrong. Uh, like when people say all intent, all intensive purposes <laughs> or, um, or it's a, it's a doggy dog world, like doggy, D O G G. Do people say that? Doggy I've seen people dog? say it's a doggy dog world and they mean it oh, like, it's a really, really dogish world and instead of dog eat dog world. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's a lot of memes that float around with like that kind of thing of like, m- like, um, they call them like malpropisms like when you you yeah. you think you're saying one thing but you're saying a different thing yeah
0: Right. And I think that some people have thoughts, not everybody, but because this is kind of like a, not a novel, but it's a little bit of a nuanced mathematical reference that what they're referring to is like R not" means something is not going to happen. Right. As opposed to, it's just a representation for R sub zero, which is like the spread rate. It, it's pure mathematical convention, right. which makes it beautiful. Of course, who doesn't love a good math reference in their casual conversation? I know I do, but... You know, this is just one of those things that got f- thrown into the public sphere because of the the coronavirus, and now it's it's spreading just as fast.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's it's like a virus. It wow!
0: <laughs> just now, my turn. Wow, who wow. can even understand? Who can All even right, so, understand them? How about you? What are you denying?
1: So this is a little bit on the serious side of a denial, and it's related to our topic today in a not super direct way, but it's related, is I'm denying not bearing with each other in love. So, spoiler alert, what we're going to be talking about today is the idea of canceling church service because of the coronavirus, right? We're, we're going to talk about that. That's our topic. So, spoiler alert. But there are a lot of people that I'm seeing online who are basically like, standing in judgment and acting a little superior because their church is willing to risk meeting together during a coron- during the coronavirus outbreak. And you know, there is no more arrogant way to exist as a Christian than to think that you're better than another Christian who's making a decision that you disagree with. Like there are clear biblical guidelines and then there are the application of those biblical guidelines to real life situations. And I don't want to get too much into this because we're going to talk about it, but no one in existence right now, nobody who is taking pot shots at other churches who are, are meeting right now or are not meeting right now. Nobody has ever been in a situation like we're in right now that is currently, you know, pontificating on this. So right. just, you just shut your mouth. Like if your church is meeting and you're happy about that, great. Go enjoy the Lord's Day. If you see someone's church who has decided not to meet, then shut your mouth. Like it, it's not the time to, uh, to go after another congregation or a person who's made a different decision than you on this one. We're not talking about like... People saying, like, well, it's okay to murder people because, you know, prudence. Like, that's not what we're talking about. (laughs) We're talking about a situation that is unprecedented in most of our lives and will probably never happen again. And we're all just doing the best we can. And so we need to bear with each other and love and recognize that other Christians are going to make different decisions. And somebody's probably right and somebody's probably wrong, or both people are wrong. But we need to just bear with each other and love and, and support each other as we get through this, as we work through this idea.
0: So I think we've just discovered or perhaps <coughs> just identified another classification, <clears throat> another genus for the denials. And you can file that one under people be crazy Yeah, because you're right. What we're talking about here, and I love the entry point for this conversation is not necessarily about why we're canceling. Uh, and that's something I think we're going to talk about. But I love that your denial is focused explicitly on the attitude of others Toward that information. Yeah. And this this is like the, I was thinking this uh, weekend about this, maybe this is a famous quote now, something like the internet is everything that you hate about people. Yeah. And it, that, it's so true in this case because... I've seen so much vitriol against other Christians and I can't understand this. I just can't understand it because not only do we not, we recognize as Christians that we have like imperfect knowledge, it's partly our jam knowing that God is sovereign, omnipotent over all things and that we are small creatures contingent in our essence and our being. And yet even in that contingency, which we will recognize in other spheres, here's one where we just want to put people in other churches on blast without knowing anything about the particular circumstances of their actual local communities. And then even beyond that, not being sensitive or compassionate toward the decisions that are being made. Now we might be able to with time and with better understanding, maybe want to de- debate some of the finer points, the way in which we're framing those, which is really, I think in part the, the purpose of our conversation today, Right. but on the face, like the default normative <sighs> response should be loving kindness, especially in a moment of, of history where everyone is really struggling to come to terms with what all of this means. And the world is just absolutely insane right now. Like people would be crazy. So yeah. what we need is I think overwhelmingly the kind of Christian love that is embracing first that seeks to love and to lean into that with sympathy rather than like, just why would you get on Facebook or Twitter And just go after another church because they're not meeting.
1: Yeah. And, you know, the the people that I see doing it are the people who have basically made their own personal brand identity being that crotchety, cranky, aggressive person like that's that's the person I'm seeing doing this. And, you know, uh, I, I just don't understand how people think that marking yourself off as like. just a cantankerous person is at all keeping with what it means to be a Christian who are literally supposed to be known by above all else, by our love for one another. Like that's when Jesus says, here's how people are going to figure out that you're my followers. He doesn't say because you wear a cross necklace. He doesn't say because you have the, the best theological knowledge or because you are constantly reading Bible verses out loud to people. What he says is, they will know you're my disciples by the love you have for one another. So when when someone marks themselves off and tries to identify themselves, basically as someone, as a sheep who's going to beat up the other sheep until they listen, like that's not Christian behavior. That's not a Christian. Uh, that, that person is not bearing the mark of Christian discipleship. That doesn't mean they're not Christians, but they're not bearing the mark of Christian discipleship publicly in any sense of the word. So it it's really frustrating to me when I see that.
0: So let's get after this then, because I have at least a gut instinct that some of what we're seeing at play here is just symptomatic of something that I think happens all the time, but it just picks the particular circumstance with which to manifest itself. And in this case, what I think we're seeing is some people are trying to show by their commitment to always being at church and always holding high the Lord's day, that that somehow takes priority over the fear and the sickness that is all over the globe right, right. now. That's my gut is that that's what they are trying to emphasize is that really our commitment needs me needs to be to the, the order of worship to what happens on the Lord's day. Right. And really everything else needs to fall underneath that. And what I think is going to be great about our conversation is we don't necessarily disagree with this sentiment, but it's expression in the current time needs to be understood in light of Christian Liberty. Right. And so this is actually, I think, a really interesting conversation yeah. because this comes up all the time. Like I really feel like this is so ubiquitous, especially in reform circles where somebody has an ax to grind on what they believe is the, the issue that takes primacy or priority over everything. And they're willing to beat people over the head with that issue because it somehow makes it look like I am more rigorous in my faith and the expression of it than you are. And you should submit to this expression.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And just just to get this out of the way, you know, we joke about being a top 50 healthcare podcast. Um, the the reality is that we're not a healthcare podcast, right? I'm, I work in the healthcare industry, but I'm not a healthcare provider. I'm not a doctor. I'm not an expert at this. Unless Jesse got some secret degree over the weekend where he has become... <laughs> A medical doctor? Uh, (laughs) No. Jesse is not a doctor. He's not a healthcare provider. I'm in a position where I maybe know a little bit more than the average person because of my job, but I'm not a doctor and I'm not an expert. But the reality of this is, is that this medical situation that the world finds itself in is actually pretty scary. Like this is not the common cold. It's not a flu. Anyone who tells you this is no different than the flu is telling you something that's not true. This virus is ten times, a conservative estimates say five to ten times more lethal than influenza for the the groups that it is uh, affecting it in a in a more like a mortality way. Uh, it's more right. contagious than the average influenza virus, and the reason it's called novel coronavirus is because although there are other coronaviruses out there, this one is brand new. This is unprecedented, and nobody on earth apart from the people who've gotten it already has ever had this virus or a variation of it so none of us have any sort of natural immune system defenses that have been built up against this virus so this this really is a situation that is not we shouldn't panic right that's true uh, it isn't this isn't you know uh, the bubonic plague or the Spanish flu although it could get to those kinds of levels if if people don't take action. Um, but it is not as straightforward as saying this is just a, a slightly more significant influenza season. It's not, that's not true at all. And there is a testimony
0: within this to be preached, to be shared, right? There is a place for the church to continue to meet when it's appropriate to do so and safe to do so. And there is a way in which we continue to show love toward one another that has some sense of geographic and physical proximity. All those things, I think we're trying to say, are possibly embedded in your decision, but it's this, how do we understand, is it reasonable to make the decision to not meet on the Lord's day, given these circumstances? That's kind of, I think the question we want to try to answer.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you know, it goes without saying, but I'm going to say it anyways. It's so funny because anytime you say it goes without saying, you always immediately follow it by saying, Whatever goes without saying. Have you noticed that?
0: Only on this podcast.
1: No, no, I think that's pretty universal. Um, oh, is
0: that everywhere? It okay, is everywhere, I thought it was yeah. just us.
1: So, every individual church, um, or in situations where you have a more connectional uh, denominational structure, but every local congregation led by a plurality of elders needs to make this decision for themselves, right? There might be some instances where a regional or a national church makes a decision or kind of like issues a guideline for every church in that denomination. But this is a decision that needs to be made on a case-by-case basis, because even though this virus is spreading out and is everywhere more or less everywhere, it's still impacting local communities in different ways. And so right. the, the local situation on the ground has to be taken into account. Just like this is this is what I don't understand is some of these internet trolls who are like blasting people for deciding not to meet would not blast a church that is in the path of a hurricane for saying, we're not going to meet this next Sunday because our church is going to be underwater, right or or a church that is in the middle of a blizzard and people can't physically get to there they wouldn't blast that church for canceling because nobody can make it to the building or cuz it's not safe to travel but for there's sure. something about this situation that makes people not recognize that this is a different kind of natural disaster but it's still a natural disaster. It's still something happening that may or may not make it physically safe to gather. And that, that is a strange thing to me that people are not able to see that. But because it's not like, I think because it's not like a real threat that you can see and touch with your hands. It's not exactly. It's not a storm that you can understand. It, it's something else. People are are not understanding that this is just a, a physical danger that we have to grapple with.
0: Yeah, you're right. This is a matter of how you perceive the level of magnitude of the risk we're talking about. And so I, I, so this is not purely theoretical for me because my own church has had to make some of these hard decisions and I've wrestled with what are the decisions that are being made and are they appropriate? And so I think it depends on how unsafe you feel it to be to actually gather together. Because if you flip the metaphor or you flip the circumstance, like you just did, even if you make it, let's say, less extreme, and you just say it's inclement weather, like a bad ice storm, probably people would say, "Well, there's no sense like risking your life right. to try to you know drive around hills or to come down, uh, you know, roads that are covered in ice." to cut to the Lord's house on that morning, given that there'd be a good chance that that might cause you grave danger to do
1: so. Exactly.
0: So again, I think that the emphasis here, and I'm going to, I want to be charitable and say that even those online who have come down hard are coming from a place where they're trying to honor and recognize God as the one who is worthy of worship, the worship that he has prescribed on the Lord's day. And so I think that's where it's coming from. I mean, I'm pretty sure that's where it's coming from. Yeah. We crossed a line at some point.
1: Yeah, yeah. And and let let me be clear, too. There are those who have made the decision not to cancel and have done so out of the conviction that um, it would be sinful to cancel for these circumstances. That's not the people I'm talking about, because I know people who have come to that conviction and come to that decision and made that decision and have not have still not spent time telling other people about how stupid or dumb or cowardly they are. Yes. So, yes. so y- this isn't so much about which is the right decision, right? Because that it's not that easy. It's not that clear to say this is the right decision. This is the wrong decision. But I want to talk through a little bit about like why. So I'll, I'll put my cards on the table. I'm a deacon in my church. I've said this before. So part of how our church understands the office of deacon is that I'm responsible as the deacon of the church for the physical... Uh, care of the congregation, the property, usually that takes the form of, um, you know, taking care of the property, sort of organizing the cleaning rotation. If someone is sick, you know, I, I might help coordinate meals or something like that. But in this instance, it's taking the form of me having to make recommendations to the church about how do we stay safe as a congregation in the midst of this thing. And so what we talked about today was there may come a time where it makes sense for us to cancel our service for two, three, or four weeks, depending on what happens in our local context. We're not there yet. We decided that we're okay to continue meeting for another week uh, unless something changes between now and then. But we are acknowledging that there may come a time where we decide that it isn't safe. And right. so I want to lay my cards on the table that that's where my head is at. And and the reason I made that decision, and I'd like us to, to talk through this a little bit more is that any individual Christian on any given Lord's day has the liberty to make a decision about whether they're going to attend church or not. And there are some reasons that are bad reasons to choose not to attend church uh, that are not excusable or justifiable reasons. But there is this range of reasons that are justifiable that no one would look sideways at and say, this person's in sin for not attending church. And so we recognize as a whole that there are these reasons why it might make sense for an individual not to attend church. That's within their liberty. But for some reason, people don't kind of make that next step to say, therefore, it's within reason for us to understand it may be wise for everyone collectively to make that same decision about any given Lord's Day Sunday. And so you framed it earlier. This this really is a question about Christian liberty, about an application of the fourth commandment and the sixth commandment, and in some ways the fifth commandment, uh, to our Lord's day service. How do we understand what it means to obey the governing authorities? How do we understand what it means to lawfully preserve life? How do we understand what it means to sanctify the Sabbath or love our neighbors? Um, all of that, it's tied up in this question. So it, it's on one level, it's extremely complex. There's so many different things to think about, but that's the beauty is that the, the law has given us the Lord's law has given us clear guidelines to apply to every situation in life. That's why I brought the catechism earlier is if you look at the Westminster catechisms, either the shorter or the larger and their reflection on the moral law, there's like, it's like a rubric for, for filtering through what we do in a situation like this. And different people are going to come to different conclusions and that's understandable, but there still is this wisdom that we've been given by the consensus of the church throughout the history of the church that, that gives us guidance in this situation.
0: And there are different gradations in this. So right. just by way of respect to the decisions that are being made in local communities, I know some are saying we do not want to to meet on the Lord's day out of love. And, and I think we'll get to this, but there's a framing as well, I think in explaining why it yes. is that you're making the decision. That's yeah. super important. In other words, you can make the right decision for the wrong reason. Correct. And that is just as bad. Um, but there are some that are saying we're, we we do not want to meet but then there are others that are saying we're going to meet, but be sensible people. Do not come if you're sick. Do not come if you feel like particularly that you're vulnerable to that. So all these things I think are in play legitimately. And I'm glad that you couched it the way that you did, because I don't want anybody hearing us to think that Jesse and Tony are somehow denigrating worship on the Lord's day. That is not what we're saying at all. And I, I think we've been fairly outspoken about that in basically every episode we've ever done. But you know, just in case we have a strong conviction of this, you know, we're looking at the scriptures, which we find to be very prescriptive when it comes to worship in general and the Lord's day in particular. And so in the midst of valuing all those things of giving it the appropriate weight and the responsibility that it's due, we are still saying yet, where is Liberty? How does, and I think this is a question of covenant, honestly, where is the Liberty at play? And to me, what I'm seeing here that's that people are forcing to work out is people are suddenly coming to have to come to terms with the difference between liberty and license. Right. And for me, those are our opposite poles because true liberty is actually subjection to the law, even though that's a paradox. Right. I mean, to like the unregenerate mind, imagine like how many Christian terms sound absolutely crazy. Like when I'm weak, then I'm strong, all these seemingly contradictions, but, it must appear foolish to the unbeliever to read or to hear that when a man becomes the slave of Christ, then he is free. So how do we understand what that means in the most practical of realms, like when it comes to a pandemic and we need to, in love, protect each other and ourselves from some kind of serious harm.
1: Right. And so I want to go to uh, the Westminster larger catechism and I want to read, uh, let me find it here. I want to read question uh 135. And uh question 135 says what are the duties required in the 6th commandment? And the answer uh is the duties required in the 6th commandment are all careful studies and lawful endeavors to preserve the life of others, of ourselves and others by resisting all thoughts and purposes, subduing all passions, And avoiding all occasions, temptations and practices, which tend to the unjust taking away the life of any by just defense thereof against violence, bearing patient, uh, a patient bearing of the hand of God, quietness of mind, cheerfulness of spirit, sober use of meat, drink, physic, sleep, labor and recreations by charitable thoughts, love, compassion, meekness, gentleness, kindness Peaceable, mild, and courteous speeches and behavior, forbearance, readiness to be reconciled, patient bearing and forgiving of injuries, and requiting good for evil, comforting and succoring uh, succoring the distressed, and protecting and defending the innocent. So if you you boil that all down, when, when the Westminster Shorter Catechism is asking this, they basically say, we're obligated to take all lawful endeavors to preserve our own life and to preserve the life of others. So the only question at this point now with that in mind is, is it lawful for us on any given Sunday or any given sequence of Sundays? Is it lawful for us to say that we must not gather in order to preserve the life of ourselves and others? And I think and we can get into this, but we probably won't get into this because you and I agree, but we can talk about (laughs) it. I think the answer is yes if yeah. uh, for example and this is this is where like thinking in the extremes helps a little bit if we were about to meet on the lord's day and the church was on fire we would not say you're still required to go in to the sanctuary and have the lord's day service we would say for the sake of not harming ourselves and not risking death you don't have to go into church for the lord's day service today or if there was a big ice storm or something like that where it was dangerous to travel, we would say, don't go out of your house, stay home where it's safe. Uh, we'll meet again next week or the following week or whatever it is. So the, the only question to be asked in light of the Sixth Commandment is, is it lawful? And, and I think it is.
0: Yeah, this comes back to where is the line that everybody draws right. in whatever circumstance you use for what is a risk to your safety? eventually people will hit that line. It's just, where is it? And for some, I think they're more naturally kind of predisposed to say like, well, in this circumstance, I'm drawing the line right at this potential very contagious illness. And others are saying, well, again, it's kind of out of sight, out of mind. I don't know the risk. I can't see it. It doesn't seem like our community is particularly at risk. And so because mine isn't, I'm going to presume that those who draw the line at that particular place, they somehow have a lesser experience or commitment to God because they're not going to meet. And right. that is in the danger. I mean that, that is sinfulness one oh one, this sense of like self-aggrandizement by saying and elevating yourself, even an expression of religiosity, over somebody else, because you believe that your conviction is stronger than theirs. I mean that is a problem. And and that's where I think that the the we said this before, but the confessions are helpful because it, uh, it struck me in what you just read you know, Think about how much is just packed in there, a practical application. It is like an explaining, a fleshing out, a trying to bring some more practical circumstance to what is said in the Sixth Commandment. And I think maybe there are some who have not thought about the decisions that are being made now in light of that particular commandment. Right. Because it is, at the bottom line, a responsibility like that, the the second uh, set of tablets there is with respect to obligation to fellow man. Right. What is our obligation to fellow man? If we are properly upholding Jesus Christ, God the Father, and the Holy Spirit as the one whom we worship, giving him proper place, then where and how do we give man proper place because we are giving God proper place? And in obedience, respect man in the, in the ways that he should be respected. And we have to wrestle through this stuff in times of sickness. Like, right. What I'm thinking is, if this stuff doesn't matter now, when does it matter? And if we're just going to browbeat somebody over a particular sensibility about application, then I think that it's possible we have actually failed to wrestle with how the truth should impact our behavior without compromising the truth.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And you know, that's not to say that there aren't bad reasons in the midst of something like this to choose to cancel. And so, you know, I'm not thinking of any particular church, but you know, I have a wide variety of people that I interact with online and you know, when, when a church has to announce that they're going to cancel a service for any reason, the, the other thing that's weird about this one is you know, when there's a physical barrier to getting to church, like it makes sense to us. Like it makes sense why we shouldn't force people to go to church when they physically can't get there. But this is a different kind of physical barrier and it's hard for us to understand. And so there's this tendency as people are making this decision to cancel their service, um, there's this tendency to try to explain why. And that's natural and it's normal and it's good. But there are a lot of churches that are explaining the, the reason why it's okay for us to cancel in a situation like this, more or less, and this might be a little bit of an exaggeration, but I don't, I don't think it is in some cases, more or less by saying the, the fact of gathering and the institutional church don't really matter. And so right. it, it's sort of a matter of indifference, whether or not we actually get together on Sunday or not. And so in this situation, we're just going to choose not to. And and that couldn't be further from the truth. And so those churches that are using that to, um, to explain why it's okay for us not to gather on, on a Sunday in these weird times that we're in, I don't think they actually believe that. That's the first thing. Um, I don't think that there are any institutional organized churches that actually believe that getting together on Sunday is really like an actual matter of indifference. You know, the line that like, well, the church isn't the place, it's the people. Well, yeah, it is. That's true. But the people have to have a place to gather. Like the church is not just all the Christians disparately around the country. The church is a, a particular gathered body of saints And in order for them to be gathered at all, there's a location to that. Um, And so that's a bad reason to cancel. But on top of that, we're actually, when we say that, when we articulate the reason why it's okay for us to cancel that way, we're actually kind of communicating to the church, like, well, you don't have to come back. Like people will probably, but they don't have to like, yeah, we're the church. So it doesn't really matter if you come on a Sunday or not. And and that's, that's what I see that concerns me when I see churches kind of making that justification, because I honestly don't, like I said, I don't think they actually believe that. And I think they're reaching for some, some answer as to why it's okay to make this decision. And they don't have the framework in place that the Reformed tradition has given us to really explain that question in a proper way or to explain that, that reason.
0: I think that's the linchpin. That's the critical part right there, because I will, I'm just gonna totally go all out there and, and oh, this man. might be a tricker for some. I've seen lots of descriptions in the past couple of days for why services are being canceled. And I would, I'm gonna say seven out of ten times, part of the explanation, whether that's just to provide like a nice bomb because this is a, a sore time, or whether it's because that's what they actually believe, is that the church is just a building and really it's not entirely necessary that we gather here. We do right. it, but when circumstances dictate that we should do otherwise, we don't lose that much. We can replace it with technology. We can forego it altogether. We can make do with some type of suitable substitute. Yeah. I've seen a lot of that. And I, I think what's interesting is there's a purifying effect. There's a litmus test that's happening with this virus in that it is forcing churches to articulate or at least to understand or to think about why it is they meet and what would cause them not to meet. And so I think there are like two distinct groups. You have churches They're having the conversation we're having, and some are falling on the side of, well, there's a liberty in our Christian expression in the covenant through Jesus Christ that allows us to make this decision in good conscience without compromising the Lord's day. Exactly. And then there are those, on the other hand, that I think are saying, you know what? It's really great to get together, but if if there's something that's like serious that prevents us, it's okay. We don't need to worry about it because again, the church is this nebulous body and it can be separated from one another. And we'll find a way to get out the information that we need to. Right. And of course, like when you, you know, people can hang out at the country club or they can go somewhere else and relax as well. Right. It's not really necessary. So I think it's true that we enjoy the greatest spiritual freedom when we're actually most in subjection to God's law. Right. And I want to just bring a a passage from Psalm into this real quick as a kind of a way to kind of shape like where my mind has been as i thought this through. And Psalm 119, 43 through 45, "And, and take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth for my hope is in your rules. I will keep your law continually forever and ever and I shall walk in a wide place for I have sought your precepts. So the natural man imagines that to be subject to God's precepts is to be confined to this narrow place. But I love that what the psalmist emphasizes here is the mind illuminated by the Holy Spirit will acknowledge, I've seen a limit to perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. Yeah. And that's Psalm one, nineteen, ninety-six. When I look at that verse, when I remember first reading that many years ago and thinking, like, like when I read it, actually my mind had superimposed it because it seems like we should be saying there is a limit to your commandments, but perfection is exceedingly broad. And it's actually the other way around. Right. And I think this actually gives us some sense of a road, no pun intended to walk in with these types of decisions that to have the greatest spiritual freedom is to be subjected to God's law. The person that's sold out to God's law can make these decisions in good conscience, cooperating with the sixth commandment and still honoring the Sabbath for what it's intended for. So I think that like, this is, these are hard times. These are hard conversations because it forces us to go into that kind of deep understanding as opposed to just saying, well, you know what, the church is not the building. Right. That, that is just that's the wrong reason to cancel. Yeah,
1: yeah, and, and I think you're exactly right that this is this is causing, you know, ideally it's causing churches to think deeply about why it is we gather together on the Lord's Day. And it, you know, again, breaking everything into two kinds of people is is a heuristic device, but it's not always accurate. But there, there really, there basically is two positions here, right? There's the churches that are saying, yeah, it's not that big of a deal to not gather because it, you know, it, it doesn't really matter all that much. And then there's the churches that are kind of agonizing over the fact that like we may not be able to gather and and i'm going to get real like real personal here like real straight up is this situation with coronavirus has been really really hard on me uh, on a personal level because you know i work in the medical world uh, our institution has active coronavirus that we're trying to deal with our community you know dartmouth hitchcock is one of the only significant healthcare providers in our region so we know that if there's a huge outbreak like it's on us. like we're the we're the medical resource for the region. And so honestly, every day for the last two weeks, I've had to get up. I've had to sort of psych myself up to go into work, and it feels like going into a war zone. And today, you know, I've mentioned before that I have the privilege of praying in front of the congregation. And today, I, I like broke down as I was praying. and the the part that got me was that the Lord's day, this gathering of God's people is one of the few true moments of rest that most of us get in a week. Like we don't really understand what rest is, but this, this is rest. Gathering with the Lord's people, uh, feasting on the word of God, being ministered to by the Holy spirit in the presence of God's people is rest. And so the thought of taking that away even for good reasons for a time is a heavy weighty discussion that has to happen. And so there's, there are churches that are giving the impression that they're like, yeah, we'll just cancel because it's not that big of a deal. And to be honest with you, there are churches where that's the truth. Like, yeah, you know, our, our staff had to work really hard last week because it was Holy week. So we're going to take a week off like that, like physically pains me. Like it hurts my heart. To Not like I'm having a heart attack, but like it, it hurts me to think about God's people in those congregations basically being told like, yeah, the Sabbath isn't that important. This, this, right. this oasis of rest in the middle of your dark world. You know, what is it? Uh, the first chapter of Colossians, he says that uh, Christ has transferred us from the, God has transferred us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. Right. right on. He, he's changed our citizenship. And right now we actually still reside physically amongst the, the kingdom of darkness, right? We still are present in this wicked generation, in this dark world. And the Lord's day worship is supposed to be this foretaste of the eternal rest that we're going to have. That's what it is. It's where we get a glimpse of the country that we ultimately will reside in, in this kingdom of God's beloved son. So to say that for a time, we have to, for the sake of safety, for the sake of of taking every lawful effort to preserve our own lives and the lives of others, to say that we're going to abstain from that for a time should hurt us. It should be a serious decision and we should not we shouldn't feel good about it even if we acknowledge that it's right and necessary it shouldn't feel exactly. good and the impression i'm getting from a lot of churches is like yeah you know we can just you know the, the pastor can just videotape his sermon in his living room and then we can watch it at your convenience it's going to be great you can do go to church in your pajamas and i'm like this is this is totally missing the point of of the gravity of the situation and, right. and i just want us to think deeply about that and to if anything, we should come out of this, the churches that have had to cancel, we should come out of this and we should feel like, oh, I'm so glad, like, I, I'm so glad that I can join with the saints again on Sunday. I'm so glad right. that I can gather with God's people again on Sunday. And and it was so awful to not be able to do it. I miss my family so much. And it, it just feels like a lot of churches are like, yeah, you know, it's no big deal.
0: Yeah. One of the things I, I tweeted this week, because my heart and yours were certainly knit together is I tweeted, if you feel like you need a holiday, the good news is that the Lord's Day is coming. Yeah. And that's really where I was at. I mean, I think everybody was feeling beaten down. People are trying to secure meat and toilet paper, apparently. (laughs) And even little things in a country where we're so spoiled by creature comforts and ease of access to nearly everything we want at any time that we want. Has given people reason to pause and think, oh my goodness, everything I rely on is coming crashing down. Like, I've, I've really thought about this because I've seen people to an intense degree exhibit anxiety. And if you think about the fact that for most of us take advantage or take for granted that our health is strong or reasonably strong, most of us take advantage of the fact that we have as much wealth as we could possibly need. Most of us take advantage of the fact that we're able to work in our jobs and that we're able to make sure our children are well cared for. And in a unique time, all of that is coming crashing down at the same time. Yeah, People's wealth is being eroded in the markets People are suddenly concerned that they're not going to be able to protect their health. And there's nothing that they can do about it. Schools are closing so that parents are going to have to make accommodations for the children, which means that they're not going to be able to go to work because they literally cannot be there. And so all of these things are mounding up. And any one of those things falling by itself would cause the whole house, that pillar crumbling to you know be kind of askew to at least exhibit some kind of you know, potential for falling down and yet all this stuff at once. And so I was thinking exactly what you were, especially for the Christian. Do don't you need a holiday? Yeah. And that, that's what the Lord's day is in all the ways that you just described it. And meeting together is part of that expression. And yet at the same time, this is where the depth of the conversation must come into play. And that is to be in Christ, to be in the covenant community of God, which is of course not reflected in a mere building, built by men. But that grace that happens when we're in Christ, I, I want to say this carefully as best I can, and I know you'll correct me if I go off, off the mark here. Being in Christ means that there is a way to temporarily and in a way that is suboptimal, honor the Lord's day and honor the commandments by protecting others and being sometimes what's most loving is social isolation in a sense. And still honor the Sabbath in a way that we know is going to be temporary and suboptimal. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of where I'm at.
1: Yeah. You know, I want to, I want to be thoughtful about how I say this. Um, Because you're not often thoughtful about
0: (laughs) what we say on this
1: podcast. (laughs) So the fact of the matter is that even... Even within the reflections on the fourth commandment that we find in our confessional documents and catechisms, there are like exception clauses, right? So the the Westminster Shorter Catechism basically says that on the Lord's day, uh, the way that we sanctify the Lord's day is by devoting the entire day to the public and private exercises of God's religion, except insofar as we are taken up in the works of charity and necessity right yes and so so i would actually make the argument and this is where this is where it gets difficult because typically we think about that in terms of individuals deciding or being forced to be away from the lord's day worship or to engage in some sort of secular common worldly work in on the lord's day But we don't think about that often in terms of what happens if every Christian in a given body is in a circumstance where the act of charity or the act of mercy or the act of necessity in order to serve our neighbors is not to go to church. If all of us have that same circumstance, then the act of love, the act of charity that allows us to still sanctify the Lord's day, but not be at church, that act of charity is staying home and not getting sick like staying sure. home and not passing that virus onto somebody else who is more vulnerable than you are. And that's where I think we need to understand this is that whether you're looking at the fourth commandment, which gives us this sort of uh, escape clause. I mean, I, that's not the best way to think about it, but this exception clause of works of necessity and charity or mercy, uh, or whether we're looking at the fifth commandment, which would tell us to obey our governing authorities in lawful commands, which the law, the the government has the right to tell us uh, because of God's ordination over them. They have the right to tell us right now, it's really a bad idea for you to go out of your house. Like, it's really a bad idea for you to do this or that. That That's a lawful ordained authority by God who is doing something for our protection. That's exactly what government is there for. Um, Some people would argue that and they would also say that government shouldn't build roads, but that's a different question, right? Or whether we're looking at the sixth commandment of preserving your life and the life of others. Like, this is just the right thing to do, I think. To say in situations like this, where you have active, you know, contagious disease in your community, to, to tell everybody to stay home and say, we wish we didn't have to. We wish that we could gather on the Lord's day because it's really important. But in order to preserve our lives, in order to, to sanctify the Sabbath, This act of charity, this act of love for our neighbors is necessary. So we have to make this decision. I I really think that's the way it has to go for a lot of churches.
0: So here's something that I'd say a lot, and I'm just going to say it again. Is it metabolized? You say that a lot. Do I? You do. Nobody had let me know yet that (laughs) that's something I say. There is something to be said about trying to understand like the purpose behind the precept. And I think that's what, of course, the confessions help us to do it a little bit better. yeah, And that's something that uh, people were just prone not to do, which is it's just easier to say, you know, the Bible says it, I believe it, I'm going to do it right, without respect to trying to understand if God is big enough, if he is over all of creation and he's given us all that we need for life in the scriptures in terms of direction, then that means because life is messy and complicated and nuanced and complex, then that word of law should also be able to cover over all those circumstances, allow us enough room to breathe and to maneuver while still honoring him. And yeah. I guess my issue is that either we end up with churches that slight this law by saying things like, it's just a building. I mean, it's not, it's all, it's not more than a building and we don't need to get together. And then there are others that say like, well, we, we have to at, at all costs right. at the cost of actually being honoring and perhaps reflecting what's written, like you said, in the sixth commandment, because of course the commandment like to not murder or to not kill is, is not just in don't take other people's lives, but also promote the health and well-being of right. everyone. Yeah, And so that's the thing that I think we often forget. But by way of like, kind of a quick example, one of the things I've been thinking about is, you know, in what is this, 2 Samuel 6, so when David is bringing back the ark, and that's, of course, the whole passage where God strikes Uzzah because The ark, while it's being carried forward by the oxen, they stumble. He puts out his hand to touch it as if to stabilize it. And God burns with anger. What I find interesting is that the scripture makes it clear, and I think we're also trying to emphasize this, that worship always comes with a prescription and a conscription. There's always something that where it's being bound to direction and it is the opposite of chaos. And so we're acknowledging that God everywhere in the scriptures gives this kind of direction. But we need to be careful not to miss the purpose behind those precepts, what it means that basically what God's explaining in this example, for instance, is that there is a method in a manner that he has prescribed. That's why this occurs. It's not just because God is holy, which he is, and he's trying to find a way to lash out and express his holiness because it's been disrespected. It's more than that. It's because he'd given his people the proper procedures to transport the ark, right? and they didn't. And so it's both a disrespect of God, because if you respected him enough and, and honored his holiness, we would say, let's do it the way that God has said. And so what we're saying here is we want to do things the way God has said, and we want to cancel, so to speak, for all the right reasons. Right. And so I think there are good reasons to cancel. And at the same time, I think what you said, is tr- what you said was tremendously helpful. And that is if we wake up on the Lord's day and there is a part of us an unrepentant part of us that says, I'm just really glad for a day off from having to be at church. Then we ought to examine why we feel that way yeah. because we've, we've missed the point of the cancellation then, yep. because if there's any part of us that just says, is, it's nice to have the time back to have the freedom, then I don't think we're approaching this from the perspective that is concerned about the purpose behind the precept, which is right. to honor God, to love others Oh man, <laughs> I almost went into a, a catchphrase from another podcast, um,
1: which you've done before,
0: which I, I've done before on this one as well. But like, is, is that make sense? Like, are, are we it united does. in this? Like, is that kind of, is that where you're coming from yeah. on this?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think you and I are on the same page as we, we typically are is God has given us the Lord's day as a blessing, right? The Sabbath is yeah. not uh, man was not made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. and, and, part of that blessing is the recognition in the law of God that there are times where for for particular reasons, God has authorized us not to participate in that blessing. And, And the only question that we face now is, is the preservation of life in this unprecedented scenario that we've never been in, is that Does that fit the description of one of those exemptions, if you will? Right. And and the conclusion I'm coming to is it, it absolutely does. It absolutely is a work of charity for each individual person in the church to abstain from attending church on a particular Sunday where this ad- infection is active in your community. And that may be a couple Sundays in a row, you know, God willing, it's not more than a few, because again, we should, we should feel the loss of the Lord's day. And, and what's really interesting is occasionally I'll talk to there's, there's a couple different kinds of people that I talk to you. Um, I occasionally will talk to people who have a job that um, it like over the road truckers. This happens with a lot where they have a job that keeps them away from the, the Lord's day worship on a regular basis those people tend to not actually seem like it bothers them that much. And that, that gives me a little hint that that's probably not the kind of job that God had in mind when he says a work of necessity or charity. Right. But when you talk to someone like an ER doctor or a, uh, a nurse who does have a legitimate job that that's described as a job of, of necessity or of mercy or charity, and they talk about how, It impacts them to be absent from the Lord's people on a Sunday morning. You can, most of the time you can tell that there's a sense of loss in their, in their decision to be absent in their necessity to be absent. And you're exactly right. If, if your church cancels and you wake up and that the first thing you think is like, oh, it's so nice that I get to just sort of stay home today. Like your heart is in the wrong spot. And that's something that you really should grapple with. So I mean I think I think that this is such a, a new tricky situation that none of us have had to be in we we need to show grace to each other and I'm glad that we were able to have this conversation because I think you know as I've reflected on this as I've talked to other deacons and, and elders around the country that I know this is a this is a situation that we're all wrestling with and as lead, yes. leaders in the church in official capacity like myself or in other forms of of leadership it's a hard decision to make, to, to suggest to the church that we don't meet. Like there's a sense for a lot of us that we're doing the wrong thing by making that right. recommendation. And, and I hope that it's encouraging to people who are in similar uh, roles or, or who are in decision-making capacity or influential positions in their church, I hope that this is encouraging to them to give them a framework to say to their church or to their pastor, or even maybe to their own families. Maybe they make their decision for themselves on a given Sunday to encourage them to say, it's okay. Like it's all right to make this decision as much as it hurts and it feels bad. It's still an okay. It's an acceptable decision to make.
0: Right. And I'll be candid. I felt like it was the wrong decision. And I, th- I think that was my visceral response to wanting to make sure that the testimony of God's people remains strong in light of and with respect to sensitivity that it should be voluntary. Like there there's some that shouldn't attend because they might be particularly vulnerable or because they were sick. I'm not saying gather everybody together in an unsafe right. or haphazard kind of way but it's this very thing that if we can't trust God himself and the word of law that he's given to us to cover over these types of situations and give us real guidance and a real like strong, confident discernment, then what can it be counted on for? I mean, this is exactly the time we need it the most when we should be exercising the most liberty, but not license. And again, this is a wonderful time because I think it forces people to reconcile with both things. And the last thing is, We all make mistakes, I think, with respect to honoring the Sabbath. Honoring the Sabbath, because we recognize it to be such a serious and solemn responsibility, means that we're going to have a lot of emotionally charged opinions about it. And some of those will be wrong because as human beings, we tend to live in the extreme position on the tails rather than in a place of grace and mercy. Right. And so I think of people like Jonathan Edwards, who said, you shouldn't smile or laugh on the Sabbath, yeah. which I'm breaking right now, apparently, by according to his standard. And I'm thinking on this day in 2020, don't we need a little smiling and laughing on yeah. this Lord's day to yeah, remind us of God's goodness and grace, the light of his loving kindness? We need that. Yeah. So we're all going to be products of our time. And because of this, we need so much more to desperately lie in Christ. Like if we believe that to be a Christian is to be in Christ, then at some point we just have to rest in that and say, there's nothing I'm doing, even in trying to be good in exercising and disciplining myself to obey that, even that falls short, of course, allowing me to actually earn any kind of merit and favor. Yeah. And so get off Twitter get off Facebook if you're tempted to really put somebody on blast and think about what it means to be in Christ and how that should give us more liberty in our expression of our Christian faith in a way that honors God and loves others. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well that, that uh, I think is a good place to end. Jesse, I I'm not going to lie. I'm super excited for our next episode. I'm excited too. And I know that it's going to be a good one because we already recorded it and it was a good one. <laughs> uh, so Please, everyone, join us next week for our new or for our uh, exciting surprise episode. It's going to be great. Uh, it
0: sounds like what you're is you like you just like um, slipped something, but you didn't because you said like our new nothing new is happening. Yeah, 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 it's not yeah, going to no. be the Arminian Brotherhood.
1: It's not no. a 180 degree turn. No, that was just a <laughs> slip of the tongue. But, but it is going to be an excellent episode, it, or it is an excellent episode. I don't know how we say it, but.
0: Oh, it is. I feel like we missed an opportunity to make it look like we were super prescient and just give like a bunch of predictions for what was going to happen.
1: <laughs> no, 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 no. Anyway, <laughs> we, we've gone into that. Not sure how to, how to wrap it up mode. Oh yeah. This
0: plane is, is faltering. It's just flying around in circles, waiting for somebody to bring it down.
1: Yeah. Well, I'm going to do it. So Jesse, until next time, honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. <sighs>